What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Back with Vershawn Jackson on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. Gets five on the reverse. Crouch with a late pitch to Alexander on his first option of the night. Big yardage to the 30. 20 yards. He cracks helmets with Billy Silva, the middle linebacker. But option number one for Crouch goes for big yardage. If Nebraska's old line continues to be successful, you need the ex old lineman. You're loving this. Cross. Alexander, you Jason Schwab, number 65, Russ Hochstein, number 55, Dominic Raiola, number 54, absolutely mauling people off the ball. Watch the movement in this direction. This is how you make the big holes. And then the big man runs right by the safeties. He's so fast. The shortest field yet. Faced by the Huskers. Alexander running over purple jerseys to the 10. A wrecking ball, 15 yards. Rashad Morton this time, number 24, the free safety, got some of uh, Alexander's shoulder pad in the mouth. Dan's a gentle, nice person off the field. On the field, he likes to look up little guys, boom, just like that. <laughs> Woo! I'm ready to play some football. I want to get back to that. I bring in the legend that's called Dan Thunder Alexander. Thunder Dan, what's up, brother? Nothing much. Doing great. What you remember about them clips? Could you hear them? Yeah, I could hear them. Yeah. I mean, remember uh, yeah. the Alamo, right? Oh, remember the Alamo. Yeah, definitely. You know, it was uh, the last game of my Nebraska career. Uh, ended up being one of the best ones for sure. So, I, I, I went back and I had to watch that game. And I'm watching the game and I'm thinking, I cannot believe Thunder Dan is running through these dudes like like Swiss cheese. What was it that helped you run through guys like Swiss cheese? 
Well, I mean, the, the, the easiest thing that most of those holes were created by a great offensive lineman. Um, you know, so I know the Alamo Bowl, it's like I did show some, uh, I showed some wiggle, showed some speed in that game. Um, but usually didn't have to face anybody till probably five, six, seven yards into the backfield. So, you know, back, sorry, back into the, uh, the defense. So, um, first and foremost was we had a great offensive line that made, uh, it made those big holes. Uh, you know, and then I just, uh, you know, I think I felt good that day. That was definitely one of the better games in my career, just from the, uh, just technical side of running, um, and being able to feel kind of the flow of the play. Um, so I can't tell you what exactly it was, but I know I had a big help there at the beginning. So I looked at the starters on, on offense, man, and I'm, I'm going to go through them. It was Willie Miller, uh, of course you, Bobby Newcomb, Matt Davidson, Tracy Winstrom, uh, Dan Volt, Tony Ufanoti, Dominic Riola, Russ Hochstein, and Jason Swab. And I got to thinking to myself, you guys, all you guys were there, either true freshmen Younger guys, when we won the last championship, how mm-hmm. important is being there those two or three years? How important was that to your development? Oh, I think it was crucial. I mean, you got to think, you know, all of us guys, a lot of us, um, especially when you're, you know, for us that redshirted like myself and I think a lot of those guys, um, is, you know, we were running scout team against, you know, a championship defense, you know, um, you know, we were learning, we were, we were learning, we were playing against the best of the best, you know, in the whole nation, uh, you know, as true freshmen or as redshirt freshmen, um, you know, building those skills. And so, I mean, yeah, you, you had to be tough. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Jason Peter wasn't going to go easy on you. No. Go easy on you. Hey, you guys weren't going to go easy on us just as we were, just because we were young. Um, so I think, you know, uh, and then also seeing just that leadership, you know, those, those championship teams, the leadership of the upperclassmen, uh, the expectation, um, you know, the, the guys working hard in the, in the weight room, on the field, you know, policing ourselves, um, you know, that, that leadership uh, and that culture, you know, um, you know, was not to be denied, you know, that though we may have had things not go our way, you know, after that championship in a lot of ways in the different seasons and injuries and, and you know, just not having the right personnel, always in the right places, you still have that 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 championship, um, uh, you would call it culture, um, you know, that helped us, you know, later in our careers to emulate that and try to reproduce that. Two thousand four hundred and fifty-six yards, twenty touchdowns, and thirty-eight games. Offensive MVP of the Alamo Bowl, All Big Twelve. Man, so how did you come in as a fullback and leave as the biggest, baddest running back? Big, I mean, in size in Nebraska history. Oh, uh, you know, me and Willie Miller both came in. We were both came in, and we were competing as fullbacks um, in that, that that first year, um, and created a great friendship. But it was actually at that first Orange Bowl, um, that '96 Orange Bowl, where. Uh, you know, I can't remember one reason or another. They needed me to do scout team running back. Uh, so I had to pretend to be uh, the running back for the other team um, in that game. And I think the coaches liked enough of what they saw. I also came out of high school, uh, though I played fullback in high school and came out of uh, high school as a fullback. I was a running fullback in high school, just like Willie. Um, but, you know, I had, more run- I had more yards in high school than my tailback. Um, at the, you know, at, and from the backfield. So they knew I could run. They'd seen it before uh, and just gave me a shot. 
you know, and I think I wasn't the traditional, you know, I de- definitely wasn't in the mold of, of the Amon Greens or the Lawrence Phillips from a, just a wiggle standpoint, um, but they saw enough uh, of what they wanted uh, that they gave me a shot. So, you know, I went into the spring um, and um, in the spring they cut me at that position. I did do, still do fullback in that spring, but um, when it came to the spring game uh, at the end of that year, um, they had me running, you know, it was, uh, you know, I was kind of the, I ended up being the, the, the leading rusher for the, for the team that I was on, um, and going against, uh, you know, um, Amon Green was the, was the leading rusher on the other team. Uh, so, uh, I think that put me in a position where they said, you know, Hey man, like, you know, in that game, I believe Amon had almost a hundred yards and I had almost a hundred yards. Um, my average was just a little bit better, you know, than Amon Green himself. So I think they said, you know, this is a guy that we think, uh, though he's not traditional, he's not, I would say, and I'm going to say in total humility, I'm not as good or as, as, as most of those running backs that I played with there. Um, but I fit um, the script for what I think Osborne wanted to do. Um, you know, he told me from early early in my career as an back, you know, when I <laughs> we go to practice and I do something or in a game, be watching film, he'd be like, Dan, you see where you, uh, you know, you've, you've made a move on that guy and ran around that guy? He's like, don't do that. Run him over. Like, I need I need him to fear you by the end of the game. <laughs> and so it was Osborne from early. He said, hey, listen, don't worry about making people miss. What I need you to do is pound him into the dirt. You know, show him what Nebraska football is all about. You know, take him on uh, so that when our other backs get in there, you know, they're, they're more hesitant. They're going to take a step back. You know, they're going to miss those tackles or they're going to go low instead of trying to take somebody high. All of a sudden now they're going to be shooting for ankles instead of instead of trying to take people in the, in the chest. So, you know, I had a role and I played it. Here's what I knew you were a player. And I, 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 I'm going to see if you can remember this. <clears throat> we're in the cook. And I don't know if we we're getting ready for the bowl game. I don't know what we we're doing. But we're in the cook and all you heard was pow. And then McBride was like, Run it again. And then Tavy was like, no, we got to run that again. You remember when you blew Tavy up? <laughs> I don't remember exactly that time. but yeah. Inside, and, and then they said run it again, and, of course, Tavy blew you up. But I knew you had got the attention when you were able because Tavy's the only guy that knocked me out, and that was one of our biggest hitters. I mean, his nickname was the Murder Man. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, let's talk a little bit about the guys you came out with because I, I think people are – they forget how many guys got drafted from that year from second-round Calvin Vandenbosch, second-round Dominic Riola, fourth-round Carlos Pope, fourth-round Carell Buckalter, fifth-round Ruck Hosting, sixth-round Bobby Newcomb, sixth-round Dan Alexander. How was that playing on a team full of stars? Oh, I mean, it was great. I mean – I was thinking back because uh, sometimes my, you know, I talk to my sons and kind of like I told you guys, I, I'm always like, you know, so you don't always have to be the best person, but, you know, but you need to work hard. You know, like I, I got the starting position at Nebraska, not because like, again, like I wasn't the rest running back, but you know what, if there was ever a chance to take a rep, I took it. You know, when some of the other guys, guys that were starting above me at times would be like, Hey, you know, I'm tired. I'll, you know, I would always take a rep. I took all my reps and took anybody else's reps that would give you know, um, you know, then Kyle, you know, guys like Kyle Vandenbosch, I was, I was competing with those guys at the end of the practice trying to, 
you know, we're running condition drills, you know, trying to keep up with all these receivers and defensive backs and guys like Kyle Vandenbosch and Grant Wistrom, who just, you know, just can run for days. Uh, you know, so I think it's, you know, when you, when you're on a team full of stars and you're trying to compete in any way that you can, uh, you know, to show the coaches that you're willing to work hard, that you're willing to, you know, sacrifice, you know, that made all of us better, you know, and helped make me better. You know, like I said, I wasn't, I'm not the most talented person. And I don't, I don't ever believe that. I believe that I worked hard, you know, I earned everything that I got and, um, and, uh, you know, and it was easy to be pushed uh, when you had a team full of such talent. Accountability. How important is that? Accountability. It's, it's everything. Um, I mean, in my day, in my life now, I have a men's group I go to every Monday morning, um, shoot, at, at, uh, at 1130, uh, where I have seven or eight guys that we sit down and we talk about life and we're accountable to one another. And, uh, you know, and I learned that from a young age. I mean, you, like you said, on, on the team, you had these guys that had expectations of, of how you were to hold yourself, um, how you were to behave, how you were to work. Um, and, you know, I felt like our coaching staff, poured that from the, from the top down it was always there but you know I don't think anybody can be great you know by themselves you know you need accountability you need to get pushed by other people that are better than you and you need to be held accountable for your actions so you know all of us can be really hard workers uh, you know and sometimes we, we do great when no one's looking but but man when you let somebody peek in it gives you that extra level and where on the days where you don't feel like working or you don't feel like doing the right thing um, you know, you have, uh, you know, men, men around you, uh, that'll hold you accountable, uh, to, to, to pushing yourself to be the very best. Talking to Dan Alexander, former Husker, uh, one-time national champ and, and Tennessee Titan, amongst other things, what, how did you make it to Nebraska? Who recruited you? How did that process happen? Uh, so I was, uh, you know, I think it's my sophomore year of high school. Um, I was behind uh, a big guy in, my, in Winslow, Missouri, named Sello. And he was the starting fullback, and he was great. Um, you know, I don't know that, truthfully, I don't know if I ever would have started over him. He was one year older than me, so I probably wouldn't have got to start till I was a senior in high school. Um, but Sello uh, got into drugs and uh, got, 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 got arrested for dealing drugs. And, uh, and when he got arrested, they left the hole for me. And I said, hey, this is my opportunity. If I'm going to do something, i got to do it. And so that first game that I got to start um, was against a team, one of the best teams in Missouri, high school teams called Columbia Hickman. And uh, I had, I think I didn't, I didn't even start that game. I, I got a, I didn't let me into the second half. And in the second half, I had 204 yards of rushing, you know, on my first, you know, kind of varsity, main varsity game that I got to play in. And from then on, I think, I think Nebraska, I got a Nebraska letter maybe the, two weeks later <laughs> after that game, maybe the next week. Um, and so, you know, they had their, their eyes and their scouts out there looking, looking for talent. And I made a big splash in a big game, uh, you know, my sophomore year and started getting recruited from there. So that's what kind of started it. Um, and I, and I, and I am so thankful that it started that early um, because my recruiter was Ron Brown and uh, Ron Brown, everybody knows is this a strong man of God. He's a great guy. In just about every conceivable way, great football coach, great great player, great athlete in general. And so I talked to Ron Brown, you know, consistently for three years, my last three years of high school. And we prayed together. 
you know, uh, you know, I talked to him about life in a lot of ways. He was a father figure to me uh, and a mentor um, through high school um, just because of the whole recruiting process. So whenever we did have an opportunity to talk, uh, whenever he was allowed to talk to me, we did. And, uh, and that kind of started it. Um, and he listened. And because we were, I think, in alignment, um, you know, when it came to recruiting time, uh, though I had, I had offers from a lot of, you know, from most Division One schools in the country by that time. Um, Nebraska was always at the top. Obviously, they won national championships in 94, 95. I graduated in 96, so there was no better team uh, from a football standpoint. Um, but even from a recruiting standpoint, on my recruiting trips that I went on, um, you know, you know, they wine and dine you. They, <laughs> they take you out. They show you how, you know, how can we impress this guy that, you know, to come here. Um, but, you know, knowing me, I think, and doing their homework, you know, when I went on my recruiting trip, um, you know, where a lot of recruiting trips, they'd be like, hey, man, here's the best Christian guy on our team. You know, this guy's a Christian. He's going to show you around. And I went around and these so-called best Christians on the teams were trying to get me to do stuff that I knew wasn't right, you know, right. on my recruiting trip. Um, and then I come to Nebraska and they put me with, you know, I didn't know at the time, but later on, I'm like, these are two of the craziest guys on this team. And they took me. <laughs> so it, it was Grant Winstrom and uh, Jason Peter. Uh, and I went with them to feed homeless at the homeless shelter on my recruiting trip. <laughs> you know, so to see, you know, be on the, you know, to go on my recruiting trip and spend part of my time doing that. And then I think after that, we went and cheered up kids at the uh, St. Elizabeth Hospital burn unit trip kids of the burn unit and so i from a very my first experience in nebraska being recruited by nebraska you know i was out there helping people in the community and was just blown away like this was completely different than my other recruiting trips and you know i mean they still did a little bit of whining and dining and we still had that part of it uh but that set them apart you know and i said you know if there's any place that i'm going to go uh that is not going to help me be the, not only help me be the best football player but help me be the best man that i can be um, you know, it's going to be Nebraska. And obviously, I met Osborne and talked to him through those two years too. But you know, Ron Brown was my main touch point. But you know, that was that was my first, my first. You know, that was my Nebraska. What what sucked me in, and I came and and, uh, and realized that it wasn't all for show. You know, um, that it was that it's, they didn't just do that on my recruiting trip to uh, impress me because they wanted to you know to to get me there. Uh, but when I got there, I saw it was all real. You know, and it stayed that way through the whole process. Now, sidebar, because you talked about giving back and and, mm -hmm. and and that being an important part of who you are now, you know, being that you went through all these different situations in life. Do your wife still run the Refuge Center for Counseling? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. My wife and I started, uh, founded the Refuge Center for Counseling back in 2005. And, um, and to this end, the executive director and, and leads that organization that charity talk a little bit about that what is what is it and what does it do yeah so when i was uh drafted by the titans came to uh nebraska here um i saw a girl at church that i fell in love with and started dating her at the time she was um a therapist at the uh the local ywca domestic violence abuse shelter and so she was spending her time uh, while she was getting her master's at treveca there um was spending her time, you know, speaking to, into the lives and supporting women who had been abused, you know, and were at the shelter for that reason. And so I just fell in love with her heart uh, 
in, in that ministry and just, you know, the, 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 the plight of abused women in America. And, um, and so that kind of started our relationship. So when she was finishing up her master's and we were about to get married, um, you know, she's finishing up her master's like, Hey, she's she, at this time, she can go into private practice, you know, and make all kinds of money, you know, make, I shouldn't say all kinds of money, but therapists get paid hundred plus $150, an hour, uh, for therapy for, for a session typically. And, and that was typically the mold, but she had such a heart for the underserved, um, that we said, you know, maybe instead of going into a traditional private practice, you know, what if, what if we started a nonprofit, um, you know, where we could help anybody regardless of, regardless of how much they can pay, uh, you know, to get the therapy that they need. And so that's why she started. She wanted to be able to help, you know, um, you know, a single mother with six kids on welfare, um, the same way as you want to help, you know, a lady that could come in and pay 200 bucks an hour, um, or man or woman or young person, whatever, you know, we want to make sure everybody had access to, uh, you know, help when they needed it. Uh, and so that's what started the refuge. It started with, with just her and one of her classmates. Um, they started doing that now, um, shoot my wife has maybe 85 therapists you know they wow. share about 30 offices in the middle of a capital campaign to, to start a facility and we're still doing it you know my wife has some very outspoken celebrity um people that she works with but she'll one day sit down with a well-known celebrity you know who can come in there and pay 200 bucks an hour you know um and that helps fund the person she might see next which again might be a single mother with with you know, on welfare, uh, who might come in and see the same therapist um, and get the same kind of help, um, but not have to pay the same amount of money. I, I'm just, I, I'm ecstatic, and I appreciate your commitment to the people and, and commitment to serving and giving back. Um, a lot of people don't know, but you were raised in Saudi Arabia, right? <laughs> I did my um, homework. Hey, I did my homework, <laughs> Thunder Dan. I did my uh, homework. My- my first memories are from there. I was, uh, uh, I was born in Chicago, but we moved, uh, my, my dad worked for TWA, uh, and, uh, we were, went to Riyadh and he was helping, uh, teach Saudi engineer, you know, mechanics over there, how to work on planes, he was an aircraft mechanic. And, uh, so we were over there for three years. So that was kind of like kindergarten, first grade, second grade. And, um, and yeah, yeah, we were over there, and it was definitely a, a different, a different place, a different time. And I have very, my earliest memories come from there, and even some mem- uh, memories that I've, I wouldn't say fabricated, but sometimes I'll start, start telling a story. My mom would be like, she's like, you told that story right, but she's like, but you weren't there. <laughs> I, like, I don't know, but I just heard so many things, and incorporated into my own memory. But, but yeah, yeah, it was, it was a great time, a great place. I think uh, what was great about that experience was, you know, my earliest time in life you know I was like so my earliest school experience was I mean I was in class with Indians and Africans and Arabs and European people and Americans and, and Chinese and so it was one of those things where Riyadh um, was a pretty international city and it was an international airport we were building so they had mechanics and people from all walks of life from all parts of the world and so I went to a uh, Saudi Arabia international school and uh, in and there they taught proper English. So I actually came out sounding, sounding very European because uh, the English I first learned was very proper English uh, before coming back to the States and moving back to Chicago uh, where we lived uh, and got back into the States. But yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting uh, beginning to my, my education. Nice. 
So, so you win the state title in wrestling in 1996, right? And so yep. when we get when we get back, I'm gonna I'm, I'm go to break here in a minute. But when we get back, talk a little bit about how winning that state title helped you as a football player. So it's Rashawn Jackson, the ticket, 93.7. I'm talking to Dan Alexander. Back with Rashawn Jackson on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. Kicks, give me that. Bless with your blessing, Lord. I'm desperate. You gave me your life, so I look forward to my exit. Yes, and we're back. It's the captain on the ticket, 93.7. Having a candid conversation with Dan Alexander. Thunder Dan, as we called him, because really, he he, he had a body like Tarzan. Like, if there was ever a Tarzan, it was Dan Edward Alexander. Oh, boy. I'm all over you, Dan, today, man. VJ got smart in his old days. You know what, Dan? I want to ask you what you remember about VJ, but then I think I better not do that because it might be a little too <laughs> candid, and you might tell too many secrets that I don't even remember. <laughs> oh man! No, so, you were one of the good ones, Rashawn. You, you know what? Not, you would not. I got no bad stories to tell about you. I can't. Just, Dan, you, you remember when you armbarred me? You were classman that was there. You pushed the younger guys. You, you know, you kept it real. Um, man, I got, I got, I got no craziness stuff. Dan, you, you, you remember? You know, I was, I, I was, I was something like a bully sometimes in there, and it wasn't that I was a bully. I was just more of a big brother, just trying to push mm-hmm. my little brothers. But yeah. you remember? I, I think I might have grabbed you. Why did, I, why I did that? I have no idea what I was thinking. I guess at that point I didn't do I thought I was just big and bad. And before I knew it, you put me in you you arm barred through me. I think that's what it was. Something where you grabbed my arm and I went you threw me like a sack of potatoes. Do you remember that? <laughs> I did that to a lot of people. I loved wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> was that you told me that was your favorite move? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I remember I had one. I got Steve Warren once real good. Steve Warren came up behind me. You know, he gets that double under, get underneath their arms and behind their neck. Uh, he got me, you know, he got me like that. Thought I couldn't do nothing until I slammed him. Damn. <laughs> Thunder Dan, I'm telling you, man, the nicest guy. But, and, and, and people don't really understand that we were trained to be nice guys off the field, but we were trained to be nasty guys on the field, meaning to get the job done on the field. Talk about how wrestling kind of helped mold you into the football player you are. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, most people don't know this, and I hate to say this because that's my have that more of a football career, but like wrestling is my favorite sport. Um, like, I really enjoy wrestling, and so to this day, I, I help out with local high schools. If I find a heavyweight that needs a wrestling partner, man, I'm all over. It. I want to get in. I want to get on the mat. Um, but what I really like, because people ask me, well, why did you like wrestling so much? And I think the reason I liked it was because. You know, in team sports, it's about a team, and that's great. Um, and there's lots of lessons to be learned about that as a human being. Um, but things like wrestling, there you can't hide in wrestling. There's no excuses in wrestling. You know, you can't be like, well, the offense didn't get it done, the defense didn't get it wrong, or, hey, if he would have handed me the ball off right, or if, if you know, if this person would have made their block. And there's, there's none of that in wrestling. When you get beat, you got beat. You know, and you can look at how you can maybe do better the next time. Um, but there was no hiding arrest. So I just love the man on man, the no excuses and the ability to either, you know, think hopefully most of the time you were dominating people, but or, or getting dominated, you know, but but there was no excuses. And I like the simplicity of that, uh, you know, the breakdown at the end of, hey, this is what I could have. I lost. This is what I could have done better. Uh, it had nothing to do with anybody else. Um, so that's what I liked about it. I think that helped coming into, you know, playing in football and other sports like that is because, you know, I took responsibility for myself, you know, um, and I learned from early, you know, early on in football that, hey, listen, like, if we lost, you know, you know, maybe, you know, sometimes if we lost, I had a good game, I, I could, I could, walk, I could shake it off and be like, okay, how do I help my teammates get better? Um, but if we won and I did a bad job, I was hard on myself then to be like, hey, you know, like I let the team down, even though we won, I could have been better. Just look at it. So I think wrestling really helps a person really understand how to take self-responsibility. And I mean, and, and plus, and just in shape too. I mean, you learn to work hard in wrestling. I don't, I don't know any, any sport that works as hard as wrestling does. I mean, Vershawn, you know, when we were out there sweating sometimes in, in the field and you look up in the stands and see the wrestling team carrying each other up and down the stairs, yeah. going all the way around the stadium. <laughs> you realize that there was a whole another breed of people doing some stuff that you didn't want to do. Um, you know, that just that hard work ethic you know, came from that and that, and that ability to take responsibility for your own actions, I think came from wrestling. Did you, did you, did you have an opportunity to wrestle too, or was that kind of frowned upon to double as a wrestler at Nebraska? Uh, <laughs> so there is a story behind that. So I did, I did during the off season wrestle with the wrestling, the Nebraska wrestling team. I'd go over there and, and roll around the neck because I was loving to do it. And it was actually, I can't remember what year it was. It was probably second or third year. I only did that for one or two seasons. Um, but then uh, the, actually the heavyweight, there was one of the heavyweights tore his ACL. And they were like, hey, Dan, like you can practice with this. Like you're good. Like come and yeah, you can do both sports. We'll let you, you know, you can do, you could let her in two sports. Like come out and be heavyweight because we, we need one right now and you, you could do it. And I was like, okay. But I was like, you know, I knew that I knew that was frowned upon and I wasn't necessarily telling everybody that was wrestling. So I, 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 I kind of just let it go. Like, oh, the coach, you know, I'll just, I'll let him forget about it, but I'm not going to do that. Um, well, he took an initiative and the wrestling coach went and talked to Osborne. <laughs> Uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> and so and so I got called into the office. Uh, Who Mary Lynn called? Like, Mary Lynn called you. Hey Dan, uh, <laughs> Coach Osborne wants to see you. You knew you were in trouble when you got yeah. that call from Mary Lynn. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's one of the few times I got in trouble with Nebraska. What did he, but, uh, what did he yeah, say? What did he say? I got in trouble. I, uh, you know, the coach, coach Osborne was like, "What are you doing? Like, you can't do that. Like, 
he's like, you've already tore at that time. I'd already torn my ACL. You know, so they're like, and they and, and you want to wrestle when they and the last guy tore his ACL. Like, no, you can't do that. So they banned me from being able to wrestle with the wrestling team the rest of my time at Nebraska. But for a couple of years, it was good. It was it was fun. Well, I'm glad they banned you because there would never be a Thunder Dan if they wouldn't have. Who knows what happened. <laughs> Coach Osborne looking out for the football players. He see he's looking out for for his nest of players. He you know he can't let that happen. <laughs> yeah, Something happened to exactly. Thunder Dan. What would we do? Because I'm telling you, Dan, you had you know I go back and I, again I look at the guys that played on that 2000 team. A lot of guys off that team, three or four guys played as true freshmen. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it yeah, was just yeah, you're right. Yeah, it was just super super important. Um, when we talk about Going back, Dan, because what I remember about you was, you know, you were a very, very sticular, smart guy uh, about your business. You went hard all the time. But you didn't hang out with the rest of us clowns. You kind of (laughs) steered clear of the party scene. Talk about how you did that and why was it important? Um, You know, I... In high school, I was the same way. You know, in high school, I was – but in high school, actually, I hung out more. Um, and so what I have to say about that is, like, in high school, I used to I used to bounce all the parties. Like, I was the guy that went to almost everybody's party. I was the most popular guy in high school, and I'd go there and, 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 and do all of that. But I was also the only person that, would never, that never drank, never took drugs, you know, uh, wasn't fooling around. You know, I, I graduated from high school, you know, virgin, never been drunk you know, never been high, um, kind of choir boy come out of there. When I got to college, and truthfully, it started at the uh, recruiting trips. Uh, that was a lot of pressure on me, you know, in my face. And I knew what some of the schools that I went to and the way they tried, you know, the things they tried to get me to do, that there were times where I literally, like, when the Bible says flee temptation, I fled. Like, I left. <laughs> you ran. You know? I'm out of here. Yeah, I, I ran. I, I had to leave, I'd leave the bar and go, go to my hotel room. You're like Joseph, and, uh, you got up out of there. So that was that's truthfully probably the biggest. The reason wasn't because I was like, "Hey, I'm better than all you," or "Hey, I don't want to do all. I don't want to um, go to you know that place. It's full of stuff." And you know, like I was never. I think some people thought it was more of a judgmental thing. Truthfully, I just knew my own limits. Like I knew what I wanted to stand for, and and there was too much temptation for me out there, um, especially when I became the, the starting running back for me to spend any time, you know, in an environment where I felt like I would com- get, where I compromise what I, what I believed in. And so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't that I didn't want to hang out with the guys. It wasn't that I didn't want to be part of all that in high school. I managed to do that. I was strong enough. I felt like I had what I needed when I got to college. It, that shoot, they were just too much. I was out on my own. Kind of like you mentioned, just accountability. It's, I didn't have as much accountability um, at that time. And, um, you know, I'm trying to learn how to be a man and I had to flee. <laughs> I had to, I had to go Dan, play. I, I, I played, take, stayed up late nights playing video games over at the Hewitt Center. <laughs> I take my hat <laughs> off to you. Out of the house. I take my hat off to you because I know what those days look like. I know what those, and I know the guys who were in those situations. Not that they're bad guys or we were bad guys, mm-hmm. but yeah. we just had a different focus. And, and, and that, I take my hat off thinking back how strong you had to be in that environment to overcome just say, you know what? I can't put myself in that environment. 
you're guilty by association, and I'm just not going to do it. And I respect that. You know, being 46 now, getting ready to be 47, I respect that, Dan. I respect that. So, Dan, hold on for me. We got to take a quick break. It's Vershawn Jackson, the captain, the ticket, 93.7. Back with Vershawn Jackson on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. Hey, Dan, can you hear that? I certainly can. What does that do when you hear that? <clears throat> Gets me all pumped up. Man. <laughs> 20-something years later, I don't care where I hear it, when I hear it, I'm ready to go. Oh, yeah. yeah. I took my uh, my, my oldest son to a game uh, this year. I went to saw Michigan. I went to the Michigan uh game or Michigan State. Uh, anyway, I went to the Michigan game and uh, he was, uh, and that was the part that I was waiting for him to hear. Like I was just, the whole trip was like, you have to hear this. You have to be here. You have to be in the stadium and hear this music and was hoping he'd get the goosebumps like I was right there. Right. <laughs> Mary, you've been married for 13 years. Three kids? Um, well, my I don't get, you got to get it right. I think it's 17 years going on. 18, 17 uh, years. Yeah. yeah. Married 2004. Man, congratulations. Yeah. Talk about that. Like, what was the, what's the best advice you've been given? Advice <laughs> I've been given? Uh, I don't know about the advice I've been given. Um, I just, man, I, when I think about marriage and I tell anybody thing, it's like lessons learned. <laughs> Sometimes the best thing happens when you do something the wrong way, you have to turn around and do it the right way. Um, but I would just say, I mean, communication, you know, um, I think part of me assumed since I married a therapist that, you know, we would communicate, you know, the best. I'm not saying anything against my wife. It's mostly on me. You know, and I think this is men in general. We just don't communicate as effectively uh, or very effectively or proactively. You know, like sometimes I think things in my head that I assume my wife knows, but I never communicated. Um, and so, man, my biggest advice, I think, is communication. Um, you know, just the openness to be able to talk about it. And then, um, uh, Kog, I mentioned before, you know, I'm part of my accountability group that I work with, but it's actually not even built as an accountability group anymore, as an emotions group. Um, but I have a group that I go to with a bunch of guys where we sit there and, and the truth, the premise about it is just talking about feelings, <laughs> you know, talking about anger and, and, uh, and sadness and hurt and uh, guilt and shame and fear and loneliness. You know, these kind of eight core emotions work. Uh, Chip Dodd wrote a book about it. That's, I think, I advise people to read. Um, but having that that language to be able to talk about your emotions 
um, has been one of the best things that ever happened to my marriage. Uh, and even me as a father, being able to talk to my kids and use emotions, uh, emotional language and communicate versus uh, just going by what they see or what I feel in the moment. How, how important is your faith to let's just talk about how important your faith is to your career, just period in general. I mean, it's been the guiding, guiding force, you know, in my life, you know, that's, that's helped me. And I've tried to look through everything in my life through that, the, the, the lens of that, um, you know, my, my name, Daniel Edward Alexander, you know, I looked it up in middle school because I used to read the Bible and I'd be like, man, all these people in the Bible, they got names that mean stuff, you know, that mean things. And then I saw many times in the Bible where, where God changed uh, someone's name, uh, you know, when their role changed or when they had pivotal moments in their life. And, um, you know, and I found out from my parents that they were very, that, you know, all of us were biblical names uh, that they gave us. And uh, that my mom and dad, you know, they argued about how, what to name me. Um, you know, and ultimately it was some lady at their church um, who, who, who helped decide that, that my naming. And so I went, actually, I started my life, um, you know, my, my, my early Christian, when I, when I was baptized at 13, kind of went back to, okay, what does my name even mean? Maybe I'll just start there. And, um, and Daniel means God is my judge. And so I said, you know, okay, that's a good, strong Christian name. I read about the you know, book of Daniel and uh, was impressed by that. Edward uh, means servant, and Alexander means helper of men. Mm. And, you know, and I don't mean it, I think everybody's name means something or has some biblical truth to it or something like that. But for me, I was like, from the very first, I was like, you know what? You know, I need to put God first. My first name is God is my judge. And so God will be first. Um, and then, you know, be, after that, I need to be a servant and a helper of men in whatever capacity that means. And so truthfully, that's, that's how I've tried to live my life. I love missional work. You know, like right now I work for a hospital and it's not a ministry. I've done that. I've been there, been volunteered, done something like that too. But I feel every day, like, man, I get to, I get to help people. I get to be a servant. Um, I think, you know, I try to even live that as Nebraska. I don't know if you remember, but I mean, I was for a, for a good period of years there, a time I used to try to be the first one. Every time there was a water break, um, I try to sprint over to the, the tables and, and I would, before I got a drink, I try to hand out Gatorade and water uh, to my teammates, um, you know, during those breaks. And so it's just like, you know, I just, it's been something that's guided everything I've done. And so in my family, I try to be a servant and a helper. Um, yeah, I try to put God first, try to teach my kids about it. And so, you know, I just, yeah, it's definitely been a driving force to my life. Um, and, uh, and have tried to approach just about everything. What was what you talked about pivotal pivotal moments in your life? What was that pivotal moment in your life? Um, or you know, one. I had a few. <laughs> I had a few. Uh, I'll pick one that happened at Nebraska, and truthfully, I I will say that um, one of the pivotal moments in my life was um, in that spring game, my first year. You know, I said I had a great spring game, but in that spring game, you know, when I was high as a kite because I was, you know. I was had a better average than Amon Green, and you know I was I was I was being groomed to be you know uh, uh, you know the uh, uh, Green's backup. You know when I was as high as I could possibly be. You know I'd just been uh, you know voted by my teammates as lifter of the year, and thought you know like you know I'm about to kill it. I'm about to crush it here. You know and um, 
And I in that game, I tore my ACL uh, during the second half and didn't know it during the game. Finished the game, torn ACL. And it wasn't until that weekend when it all swole up and got painful. And then by the time the next week started, I was like, it felt okay. And I was like, you know, but I'll, I'll go talk to Doke. I'll figure it out. You know, I'll ask the trainers to look at it, you know, just to make sure nothing's bad. Uh, and so it went from being high as a kite, you know, Saturday, you know, Sunday, Monday, thinking everything's great, um, to finding out, I, you know, to getting an MRI on Tuesday, found out it was torn on Wednesday to having surgery on Thursday. Wow. <laughs> they didn't waste no time. I went very quickly from, you know, Isaac high to low. And so for me, that one of the things I was like, you know, God, why? You know, why did this happen? Like, man, I'm, I'm here for you. I'm here trying to pronounce your name. I'm trying to be a light, you know, in football. And this is my, my, my uh, you know, my, my platform to share my faith. And, and so I really like turned around and got in the, you know, it was through that, that trial and tribulation of, of training that, that summer over that, that I realized that, you know, a lot of ways when I first tore my ACL, I thought I was like Job in the Bible where Job, you know, is this great guy. This guy talks about him as he's, you know, look at this guy. He's the best guy I got on earth. And the devil goes to tempt Job and takes everything away, you know, and then Job is, you know, kind of faithful through this, this trial and this, temptation and I was like yeah I thought I was joke you know kind of this holier than thou like I'm doing everything right um, and what then I realized during that process you know God breaking me down was that I wasn't Job I was King Nebuchadnezzar um, he's actually in the Bible too and King Nebuchadnezzar is a, a, a king and he stood one day on his porch was like God you know look at everything I've built by my own power by my own hand you know and just kind of looked over his kingdom and when that pronunciation of his air and his arrogance, he was struck dumb by God uh, and would end up eating, you know, being like a beast in the field and eating grass and stuff like that until he wised up and God raised him back up again. And so, you know, I realized you know, it really taught me to humble myself. That's why I said, like, uh, you know, when it came, when we talked earlier about just going out and stuff, I realized that, man, I like, I like to think that I've got it all together, that I'm perfect, that, you know, that, I, that I'm doing everything right. Um, but man, God in my life consistently pushes me down to let me know my proper place and that, you know, I'm here as a servant. I'm here to help people. Um, he lets me run the show on occasion, um, but ultimately my life is in his hands. And, and so that was a pivotal, pivotal moment for me to, to kind of have that Job to, to that King Nebuchadnezzar moment and, and help humble me to, you know, to be more coachable, more teachable, a better teammate, um, you know, and ultimately keep me from going down a road, I think would have led to my own destruction uh, had I kept on with that belief in myself and wouldn't have been helpful. You know, I think if I had, I, I tried to be influential at Nebraska and share my faith, but I never wanted to do it in a way that made people feel like I was better than them, but like, Hey, I'm here with you. And, you know, uh, you know, and just be able to humble myself to be a servant versus trying to lead um, from the front, you know, from the pulpit preaching at people. And, uh, you know, I think that was a pivotal moment. Talking to Daniel Edward Alexander because I like the whole name and I like the meaning of the name, so I'm gonna call you the whole thing. Talking to Daniel Edward Alexander, and one of the things I want to ask you is: at Nebraska, who was your nemesis? Who was the guy that just they gave you fits? For me, it was Ben Butenback. Every time I looked up, I look up, it's little bitty Ben Butenback. And 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 it didn't matter where what we were doing, what practice was. This dude was always in my lunchbox. Who was your nemesis out there at practice? 
Oh, gosh. Um, there are a lot of people from a football, from a football, you know, um, I guess to Eric Warfield. Really? Why Warfield? That's oh, maybe interesting. Not, I'm trying to think. Uh, oh, other Eric. Why am I drawing a blank? That's all right. Um, yeah, it was, it was, I'm sorry, EJ. Eric Johnson. Eric Johnson. <laughs> yeah. E. Jizzler. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. EJ. Sorry. Why, why was Sorry. that? Eric, 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 Eric tore me up one, two, one time, too. He uh, he once got me when I was on a flat pattern that I'll never forget. That's probably the hardest I've ever been hit. But EJ, on a consistent basis, I mean, I think between the two of us, we broke four, five, six helmets. I mean, I, I, we'd hit head-to-head in, in crack helmets, bend face, face masks, um, you know, pop off clips. Um, you know, when we hit, it was it was always <laughs> it was always a good time. So uh, yeah, I mean, he was my nemesis on the field, but not in a bad way. We loved each other. I think we both we both got a, got along really good. Uh, but uh, but the collisions, I felt like he was one guy that he didn't back down. And when I when I wanted to, if I wanted to hit somebody hard, he'd do it. You know, um, and we were both, I think. Uh, I think I want to say inexperience. Uh, we both like to hit, but we both we both weren't like the wisest guys. I think like even somebody like you, like you can hit hard, but you know when to swim a guy, you know, or, <laughs> or rip through him, or avoid, you know, avoid it. So you the, the the goal of getting to the getting to the ball versus you know just making a big pop at somebody. But for some reason, me and EJ, we just never learned. I mean, we'd always see each other head on. <laughs> Like two, like two Rams trying to trying to <laughs> jockey over a position. Who's the king of the? I get it. Man. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, like you said, I was saying. I don't think we were because we were smart. It was because we were both a little bit stupid, and we both decided. I don't know why we thought we could just run through each other every time, but but uh, but he took it. He how, gave it too. How was that for you winning the championship? You would have been a what sophomore. Um, yeah, yeah. I registered in my first year. So I guess it was my, it was my rookie year, my first year of playing. Um, and that was a year actually after my, uh, during my ACL. So I didn't even actually play that much that year. So I think winning the championship was great. Like I said, I loved and learned. I loved the experience. I loved being there with all those guys. Um, people ask me that a lot, you know, a lot of times I think in my heart of hearts, I never felt like I ever earned a national championship. Really? I think. You know, if I have to be honest, like, yeah, like I said, I think it kind of goes back to my wrestling days. It's like, man, I had very little to do with that national championship. I think, I, you know, I helped make guys better. I did some scout team stuff. Damn. I was part of the team. I helped Damn. hand out waters. You know, I was part of the team. But Damn. I just, you know, listen. I never took full, I've never taken full ownership of it. Hot, listen, <laughs> you were one of the best scout team players. You and, you and Willie and – that whole group of guys that came through, yeah. that was on that scout team for a couple of years, like I was, you mm-hmm. guys are the reason why we won. Because if you just think about this, if you don't give us a look, if you take breaks like some people we know, you talked about that earlier, where guys didn't want to take reps, you know what I mean, because they had to go against the black shirts. Guys were taking t- plays off, but you always wanted to jump up there and do reps. Could you? I can't imagine. What we would have had, what we would have become, if we didn't have great scout team players. Mm-hmm. Without you, we don't get it done. I, that's just what I believe. 
Because I couldn't imagine yeah. going against me being a linebacker because that's in my dreams. I, I wish I played linebacker. But uh, I couldn't imagine having to hit you every day in practice. 250 pounds coming at me, 6'2", looking like the Incredible Hulk. Tommy Gunn said, Dan, when I was a little kid, my friends were all my friends and I always called you the Incredible Hulk. Glad to hear he's on my team, guy forever. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I accept that. I, I think I, I think I, I believe I believe that. I just you know, you know, you know how you always want to be a bigger role. So you know, that's just part of my. I got to work through that on my own. But I, I hear what you're saying, I, and I appreciate it. And I think I did. You know, we gave the we gave the best look we could every day out there. Uh, you know, I'm glad you mentioned Willie because the same thing. Him and I, we were roommates all the way through college, and man, we used to, you know, it was our pleasure to be punching dummies for a while. <laughs> did they? Did they? Right. That's what I'm saying. You guys embraced it. You embraced the fact that you knew you were going out on scout team and you were gonna have to give them a look. You guys embraced that. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. both of you guys embraced that, and I, I, I think we don't give enough credit for the guys who kind of trial by fire. We don't mm-hmm. give enough credit to those guys because the reason you are you were who you were your senior year is because of what you went through your freshman year, your redshirt mm-hmm. freshman year, your your sophomore year, the times that you weren't playing, it made you who you were. And so I man, man, look, if nobody said I appreciate you being on scout team and getting your head knocked off. <laughs> I appreciate that. Okay, so what what game is your most memorable game? Uh, you know, I mean, people. I mean, I have two that you know. The, the two that always stand out, obviously, are you know, For me, I, I'm a guy who I actually have a terrible memory, and I think it's probably because I hit heads so many times. Well, you were, <laughs> hey, listen, you know, you know, we got the CTE thing going, and I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> well, dang. I played in Nebraska in the in the in the league for two and a half years, but then as far as Nebraska, I know I had a hundred and fifty more collisions in at Nebraska than I did in the league ever. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Anyway, you were saying? Um, just saying that you know, for me, I remember the thing that stand out was my first game. Uh, my first start was against Iowa State at Iowa State, and it snowed like it was like a blizzard on the field. And I was just slipping, sliding all over the place. No one could throw the ball because of how terrible the weather was. And you could barely run because no one could cut because of how icy it was. So it was perfect weather for Dan Alexander <laughs> in my first start because all I did was run fast straight ahead. I remember that one. Um, you know, and then I think I'll never forget it because it's probably, if you look me up on YouTube, it's the one that everybody remembers um, is my run at Colorado. So I do remember that Colorado game. And if you have a little bit of time, I'll tell, I'll try to be fast in my story on this one. But So listen, no, 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 wait, 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 Dan. Don't tell the story. Hold on. We're going to take a break because okay. I don't want to cut you off and I want to hear this story. So hold okay. on to that story. Your questions more on the Sider Hammond text line 464-5685 when we return with Dan Alexander. This is 93-7 The Ticket. Look at me short. Look at me short. I'm the captain now. Three-time national champion, Vershawn Jackson. Oh, got a bunch all alone is Vershawn Jackson. And Vershawn, he'll get it to the 24-yard line. 
Coming at you live from the Coppel Chevrolet GMC Studios in the heart of Lincoln, America. On air and online at theticketfm.com. Here he is, Vershawn Jackson. Ah, yeah! Come on, Nick. Every time you play it. Hard time. You know this song, Dan? Yeah, Hard Time Lover. What? Dan! I had Terrell Farley on, and I'm going to play this song. We're going to get Nick to play this same song. And I just want to see if you know who this is, and then we're going to get to your most memorable game. But I got to (laughs) see if you know. Because the answers that he gave me, I'm like, what hole have you been living in, T. Farley? Know who that is? <laughs> that usually embarrass me because I'm like, I want to say Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. Go with your first mind, man, because the second one's always the devil. Dan, you're right. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> I'll let you try to trick me. I thought it was a trick question. I was like, obviously that's Michael Jackson, but I was like, no. that must not be who it is. No, <laughs> that, that's the obvious. That's my point. So I, I, I've been giving Terrell. I'm gonna give him. I'm gonna give him crap all year about his answers. I can't. Who did he say, Nick? He said, "Uh, oh uh, gosh, whoever it was, it wasn't even close. It was females he was naming." <laughs> oh, oh no, he can't do that. So who who what what game was your most memorable game? Okay, so I, well, I'll start with, it's, it's 1999, <clears throat> and so they, if you look me up on YouTube, it's always the 80-yard run at Colorado that you'll see, uh, you know, as the first pick. And that's, it's, it was a special game for me because that was another one of those defining moments in my life. Uh, because in 1999, that's where we led the country in fumbles. Um, and I was chief among the fumblers. It wasn't the only one, but I was definitely the chief among them. And we were getting it, uh, we were just getting it handed to, I mean, we were getting it from every angle, teammates, coaches, fans, you know, reporters. Um, And so it was just a really tough year. And I mean, I had, we had fans sending footballs with, with uh, handles, you know, handles glued onto them, all kinds of stuff. So we were just like the butt of every joke during that season. Me, me, you know, probably most of all, and so uh, Kansas State was the game before that Colorado game. And in the Kansas State game, um, I fumbled on the very first run. Uh, the very first time they gave me the ball in that game, I fumbled it. And I think the other team in Kansas State got it. And uh, when that happened, they pulled me that game for the rest of the game. I didn't go back in. That entire, I was a starter. You know, no. I every game up to you, never, so my, you didn't go my, back in at all as the starter. No, they didn't put me back in again. Uh, I was out that entire game. And that was just because you fumbled. Yeah, we had a lot of fumbles. I wasn't, I'm not going to say that they didn't do the right, whether they did the right thing or not, but what it I did think is that was, I think that was the right thing. Mind, like, you know, what the problem was. And so, uh, so it was good. It's good. I got to go to uh, Solich and Gillespie after that game and just have a heart to heart, you know, just communication and just say, hey, listen, like, that, that hurt. You know, I heard it bad. Like, I'm your starter, and then you pulled me. I was like, 
you know, for that. And I understand, like, we've been fumbling a lot. I've had a lot of fumbles this season. We've been, we're leading. I know they're embarrassed the way I'm embarrassed, you know, because they're the ones supposed to be fixing this problem. Um, but really just told them just my philosophy. And I said, you know, like, you know, when I fumble, you know, it is my, you know, like, I don't just sulk and go in a corner and start to fumble more. Like, what I need is to get back out there so I can kind of correct that mistake, make up for it. You know, I can't correct it. It's already gone. But I'm more determined than ever to make up for that, you know, show people, you know, what I can really do. And when they, t- when that was taken away, when all of a sudden, you know, like I fumbled and it was like that was the last mention of me in that game, it really hurt. And so going into the Colorado game the next year, I said, you know, I just said, I said, you know, I, I can't be your starter if you're going to do that to me again. Like, because I, I, it, it, it did a mess with my mind. This whole season's a bit of mind game, you know, as we've been trying to, because it wasn't that our hands weren't good. It wasn't that, you know, every, every handoff was the fumble, you know, the fumble wasn't that we were always carrying the ball in the wrong spot, but it became a, a mental issue, you know, not a necessarily a physical or a training issue. And so uh, <clears throat> I just said, Hey, if it happens, I was like, I need a chance to, to, to redeem myself, you know, um, and so what happened is that the Colorado game is the next game. And in the Colorado game, I think I had three fumbles that game too. Dang. But they, but they kept on putting me back in the game. And in that game, you know, I ended up having 180 yards that game. You know, I had <laughs> most of that was two, two plays. I had an 80 yard run and I had a, a very, and so the very first play of that next game, the Kansas State game, very first play of the game that I got the ball. I fumbled it and gave it to Kansas State. In the Colorado game, the very first play of the game, I ran a 50-yard touchdown um, in the first the first play of that Colorado game. And so then later on, you know, I had a couple fumbles in there, um, but they kept putting me back in. I had the best, the, you know, the, the run that is probably the most celebrated run of my career during that time. Um, but most, more importantly, what happened is I fumbled on the goal line in the Colorado game near the end of the game. And because of that fumble, it put us into overtime. Um, you know, they were to score whatever. We went into overtime, but they put me back in during overtime. And even then, I was like, "Don't put me in!" Like, <laughs> oh no, oh no! All of a sudden, then you're game. you're talking about, oh no, don't put me in now. Uh-uh-uh. I don't want that pressure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, even I, I didn't say it to them, but that's what I was thinking in my head. Like, crap! If I fumble in this overtime, you know, I just basically, I it's my fault we're in overtime, or I just I internalize that. I realized the team score, but I internalized that and just, and even we got in overtime, but they put me back in and they had faith in me that I was doing. And in there, uh, that the, the, the run that don't, most people don't see is in that game is in overtime. I had one run where I probably, I don't, I broke a bunch of tackles. It was a really hard, hard fought one, uh, run where I, where I got us in position for Eric Crouch to, to win, to get the game winning, uh, game winning score. Um, and just that face that they showed in me when even I had doubts in myself at the end of that game changed my relationship with Solich and with Gillespie. Um, and, and truthfully, after that game, you know, I did, I mean, that's not like I never fumbled again. I'm a running back and I'm a hard hitting one that, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of pressure, a lot of power goes into when I'm hitting somebody with a hold the ball in my hand and things happen, but it kind of like that game cured the fumble problem for me. Like it mentally, mentally, all of a sudden I had the confidence that I could overcome it. So when it happened, 
I didn't then fumble more in the game because I got more worried about holding on to the ball. And you start thinking about when you start thinking about not fumbling is when you fumble the most. <laughs> so it, it kind of uh, it kind of it took that. So truthfully, the Colorado game was it was a pivotal pivotal moment for me because it took you know a season that was full of disappointment and a thing where I personally was getting a lot of flack um, from my hands and just fumbled and really helped you know, solidify, helped me in my confidence, you know, in that coach-player relationship and really helped me get to the point where I could look past the fumble and wouldn't internalize it the same way I did before. So that's that's the most memorable game because of that whole situation and how it, how it came to be. T.O. quotes. You remember any? Who? Co- coach Osborne quotes. <laughs> the one that I say the most, I can't remember exactly, but, but my – my thing I always tell people is Judas Priest. <laughs> that's my that's my Osborne quote because I tell people they're like, was he really that not you know like was he really that good of a coach? Was he that good of a Christian? Was he that good of a man? And I was like, when when T.O. would cuss, he would cuss the person who, um, you know who who betrayed Jesus. <laughs> like his curse was like Judas Priest, right? You know, like or the band. I guess if you want to say the band. You know you're like, in trouble when he, if Judas. Was, if Judas Priest came out of his mouth, you are in hot water, buddy. Trouble. You're in hot water. Because that's about yeah. as tough as it got. He got the point in that finger. Don't, <laughs> gum it. We, we need to get it done. Gum it. And Judas Priest, we need to get it done. Don't yeah, you put yeah, the Os- ball back Osborne on the ground. Judas Priest was, would have the same, you know, the same effect on a player as, as a coach cussing them up and down for five minutes. All he had to say is that, and you knew you were in trouble. You knew he was serious, and he was about to lose it. <laughs> which which defensive coach did you did you have a relationship with the most? Oh, defensive coach. Yeah, because like with me, like McBride, like I had talked so much stuff when I was on scout team, right? I mean, <laughs> I, you know me, right, Dan? I'm always running uh-huh. my mouth, right? Look at me now. So I'm always running my mouth. I'm talking crazy because I was talking crazy to the black shirts. And so me and McBride would always have a banter back and forth my entire career. To this day, if I see Coach McBride, we're going to go back and forth on something. Like, I can't wait to have him on the show. Because <laughs> I know he's going to be talking reckless. Did you have one? Yeah. I didn't. I mean, I didn't. I just didn't interact with the defense coaches that much, except when I was on scout team. So I'm trying to remember who used to run the scout team. You know, who used to tell us what to do. Well, it probably would have been like like so, I mean, like Moose and Carpenter. Remember, remember, uh, Carpenter uh-huh. played fullback, and and then Moose was around at that time too, and even Bill Bush. You remember Bill Bush? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bill Bush is yeah, the special not- teams coordinator now. He was there. As a scout team card holder, uh-huh. GA type. Matter yeah, of fact, I mean, I think, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think, you know, I, I, most of my memories, I have a lot of, you know, George Darlington, a lot of uh, Craig Bowl, you know. I mean, obviously those guys were, you know, like Charlie McBride. I mean, yeah, I mean, I probably worked a lot with Charlie, I'd say, out of all of them. Um, but I, you know, I have fond memories of all of them because, truthfully, I mean, usually when they were getting on me, it was in a cooperative manner. They needed me to do better, you know. 
so I could show the right show the right look to the defense. How uh, how important was having Doak to your career? Because <laughs> I listen, we talked about this a little bit, and and Doak to this day, I still talk to Doak, and I I found that very very amusing that you still talk to Doak, uh, and and so Doak is a friend, not only a friend, I can Doak is like one of us, right? Uh huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Doak is on the inside of the players now. He's an honorary player. But what, you know, what what was it about Doak that you remember the most? I mean, I, I mean, part of what I remember is that he used to give me a hard time the most. You know, like, Doak was, it was great because he was so friendly, but also super sarcastic, you know, and he just told how it was. Doak was just a very honest person, you know. And if he saw something, you know, he if he heard some and BS, he called it, you know. Um, but he was also super funny. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I really knew he cared about me, you know. I mean, he you know, trainers, you know, trainers, you know, they're supposed to care for you. And a lot of them do, but some of them people, it's just a job. I feel like Doak really cared about us, not only as a, as a player and, and our injuries and stuff like that, but as a person. You know, and he wanted to know you. And I think that just was really clear in, in his demeanor. And even his, his uh, you know, his, uh, I won't say his childish, but his, you know, his bantering and all his sarcasm and, and wittiness. And when he'd make fun of you, you still knew that he that he loved you and, and, and was caring for you. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. I know we talked and I, he, well, I would go to George Sullivan, but if, Dokton Tuck and and I would go to Jack. You remember Jack Nicolite? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I would go to Jack too, but Jack really wasn't taping like that. But if my go-to guy was was Doke Ostergaard, he was the mm-hmm. guy who taped the old guy up and it kept me playing football and, and kept my ankle safe. So thanks, Doke, yeah. if you're listening. Appreciate you. Yeah. Yeah, same thing here. He was he was my go-to. Like, yeah, I would let other people if Doke was had a really long line or was not available. But that was very few and far between. Yeah, you know, if Doke didn't do my ankle, I just didn't feel right. Yeah, it was just something about we were we were we had that mystique about us that if we did something, we're gonna do it the same way every time, <laughs> especially if it works. Yeah, yeah. If it works. We're there. If it doesn't work, let's throw it out the door. Let's figure out what we need to do to get it to work. So, so talk a little bit about uh, Coach Solich because to me, Coach Solich is the best. Still to this day, he is the best running backs coach to put the pads on. And I know when he took the head coaching job, he kind of left that to Coach Gillespie, which. Mm-hmm. You don't have to tell me. I know there's going to be a drop-off in coaching from Coach Solich to Coach Gillespie. What mm-hmm. what was that dynamic like when he went from being your coach to now being the head coach of everybody? You know, I think for the running backs, it was really – it was a disappointment, you know. Mm. I mean, you know, I came and he was this legendary running back coach. You know, and then to have him move to head coach, you know, so I think that was that was a hard transition, you know, and a lot of us just just didn't bond with Gillespie the same way we did with Solich. Um, And part of what Solich always had was that you knew he had been there and done that, you know, like he was 
you know, he was the original Nebraska fullback. You know, like <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, I had I had Corey Ross on, and again, uh-huh. it's it's not it's it's not the size of the dog; it's the size of the heart uh-huh. in the dog. So yeah, so when you talk about that. I definitely understand what you're coming from with Kosolich in, in, in that drop off. Well, Gillespie didn't play the position either. Yeah, no, he didn't. You know what I mean? So, I mean, that's what I say. I think that was probably the biggest part was it was like, you know, you can respect Gillespie as a coach and as a person and stuff like that, but he didn't have the same respect as a running back coach because it's, he didn't feel like he'd been there and done that. You know, he hadn't been there in the trenches with you. He didn't really understand. So sometimes he'd ask you to do something. Where Solich asked you to do that, you're like, I, tr- I can trust that. You know, run through this wall. Okay, of course, I'll run through this wall because Solich said it was possible. You know, mm-hmm. um, like, let's just say run through this wall. You'd be like, well, I don't know. Has he ever run through this wall? Did the technique, because the, the, Coach Solich was a technique wizard. He talked technique mm-hmm. and everything. Did that fall off? Or did Gillespie kind of keep some of the same stuff that you guys did with Coach Solich? Yeah, I mean, I tell people a lot of times that, you know, nothing really changed. Um, you know, I think Gillespie, it just, it was, like I said, it was more of just the respect for the person and the, the coaching style more so than the actual drills. Because uh, I'd say the same thing about, you know, when Osborne left, you know, I was great that Solich was the head coach, but it was also a letdown because it's like, man, you know, I, and I, as much as I knew Osborne was looking over his shoulder, especially those first couple of years in, in helping direct the team um and as much as i knew frank solich was looking over gillespie's shoulder helping to keep stuff you know the similar you know and and make that transition it just wasn't the same uh and so i think that's the thing but i don't want to say gillespie had us doing stupid drills or or anything like that um i think it was all probably stuff coming from straight from solich or kind of reinventing that wheel or you know or kind of regurgitating that same stuff um but it was just hard as players, you know, at, at that high of a level with that high of a caliber team, uh, you know, to kind of do that. And he was the new guy coming in. So, you know, for him, he was new. So did you ever, I, you, you say look over, look on, looking over his shoulder, but did coach Solich ever come in the room? Did he coach you guys up anymore? Or was it just like, okay, he went from the head coach. Now he's got completely different set of things that he has to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he really did have more of a completely separate different things to do. Uh, and I think, you know, him being a good leader, I mean, I think any good leader tries to put the right person in the job and then not micromanage that position. So he did, He did, I think every once in a while, I think especially in the 99 year where there were a lot of fumbles, he did have some input into how to help correct that. Um, you know, you know that... we did some, do some different things that year. But again, kind of like I mentioned earlier, some of the the fact that stuff was different, that we were trying different things to try to correct a particular issue, just put it to the forefront of all of our minds, you know? <laughs> and so to a certain degree, I think uh, when he was, when he was doing that, you know, especially like with Gillespie there, it's like, you're asked to do this stuff. Like, you don't, you haven't been running back. You don't know, you don't know. And it's, this may be helpful for you, but it's not helpful for us. And now all of a sudden we're concentrating and focusing on it every day. And I know he felt a lot of that pressure, the same pressure I was feeling. So like I said, it all rolled downhill. I think I caught it all. I didn't have anybody else to blame, but, uh, you know, Solis could push down the running back coach, running back coach could push down on, on the running backs. And I was the, the starting running back. So I, I caught a lot of that slack and, uh, and I think because of that also, because of what the flack that Gillespie would get, I think some of that ran into our relationship. 
because he had to put pressure on me, and I didn't particularly like that either. So, you know, I'm not a perfect man. I, I could have been a better soldier, um, I think, under Gillespie, but I was immature, you know, and I was a young, prideful, you know, college-age guy with my own thought of things, and I think a lot of ways that was a that was that was a rough year just for the running backs because we were all trying to deal with our own pride working with a new guy who hadn't done the position and uh you know it bled over to the relationship which you know like i said you could do all the same things as the previous coach but if you do all the same things and the relationship's not there it just doesn't work as well soderhaven text line is 464-5685 if you want to ask ask some questions for dan myself even nick hit us up or if you want to call in we'll take one phone call on the Honda Lincoln hotline, 464-5685. But, Dan, you get to get ready to get drafted now. You get drafted sixth round. What was your experience uh, playing in the league? You know, we all know that, that that the NFL means not for long. But a lot of times, you know, when I when I went to the league, I thought that this, oh, I made it and all this stuff. But, but that was kind of one of the darkest times probably of my football career because um, the money kind of distorted things. It made you think you were better than who you were. It made you think yep. that you were a god and people needed to come and serve you. But I'll, I'll, I, my two years, I never got hurt at Nebraska in five years at Nebraska. The worst it was was a dislocated pinky finger and I had a high ankle sprain. That was it. I get to the league every single year I'm hurt. Every single year I get a major injury. And hindsight's always twenty twenty. I look back and, and I look at some of the guys who are no longer with us that went to the league, who had who had it all. I look at some of the guys who went to the league that are broke and trying to figure out what they're going to do because they didn't get their degree. And now they're just like flopping around trying to figure out life. But I look at that and I'm like, everything happens for a reason. What was your NFL experience like? Yeah, um, you know, it, it was hard. It was hard, you know. Um, my father's passed now, but I, and I would say this, I, I've learned a lot of ways to respect him, but my father wasn't like a super hands-on guy. Wasn't abusive, wasn't, you know, a bad dad. He taught me spiritual things. He was a great teacher. Um, but worked nights and worked a lot of overtime and just wasn't around. Um, and so I grew up and my mom didn't know how to, had to know how to teach a man what to do. And so I think coming to Nebraska was great because I had all these great mentors and people that surrounded me. Um, but part of what I tell people that say, what's hard about becoming a professor, you know, from going from, you know, high school to college, especially at a big national program, is that you're still somewhat treated like a kid, you know, to your point, like not so much, you, you don't think of it now, but you think at the time you think, well, they're treating me like with all respect that I'm due. They're treating me, you know, as a leader. Um, but a lot of times, you know, we had special ways. We, I needed a tutor. I asked somebody, you know, they wouldn't fetch it for me. I needed, you know, my books. I had, that was fetched for me. I needed, um, you know, anything, you know, I think about anything we needed. It was fetched for us, you know, uh, that we could possibly think of, you know, we, uh, 
you know, we need a job that helped us find a summer job. You know, we needed whatever. You know, there was just a lot of, I won't say pamp- you know, pampering, but you had what you needed. And it was right there at your fingertips because they knew you didn't have a lot of time. Unlike other students, you had not only your class, but you had this really full-time job as a football player that you had to keep up with. Um, and so what happens, I think, in the NFL and why the stats are so bad on, on that, that switching from college to NFL is a lot of times you get out, especially from the big program, and it's like, now you're this, you're supposed to be a man. Now you're supposed to know how to do your taxes and know how to <laughs> balance your checkbook and know how to, you know, and, and, and when most people you get a job and you get paid every two weeks or every month, now in the NFL you get, you get 16 paychecks you know, one part of the year, you got to learn how to budget that the rest of the year. You know, uh, when you get paid, uh, you know, one sixteenth of your salary every game, and now all of a sudden you need to have a budget. So, I mean, I think for me, it was rough. You know, I had, I was, I felt like I was a guy who had a good head on my shoulders, um, but I struggled because I had a family that didn't have a lot of money, so I wanted to help everybody. And so there was just a lot of pressure in the NFL to grow up quick, to be a man, to support your family, to handle all, everything. And, um, you know, I went there and Heimerdinger, the offensive coordinator for the Titans, hated me. Um, <laughs> he, didn't want no, he didn't want no Nebraska guy. Um, you know, uh, I was uh, the recruiter, the, the scout that got me drafted. He told me from the very beginning, he said, hey, listen, I got you drafted. Heimerdinger wanted somebody else. He doesn't like Nebraska running backs. He doesn't think he can catch, you know, and, he, and he, so – He's like, he's not going to give you a shot. You're going to have to prove prove yourself to him, you know. Like, he's not going to give you a break. And so my first year in the NFL, um, you know, with the Titan, um, Sherman Smith, you know, the running back coach, we had a great relationship. Um, he liked me. I had great, you know, the head coach, we had a great relationship. Um, and those guys during, during that season would put me in the game. And I don't want to sneak on the field because once Heimerdinger noticed I was out there, he'd be like, get him out of there. <laughs> he'd yell, he'd get me off the field. He'd pull me almost every time he saw me out there. Just didn't barely give me any shot to go. I mean, and it got so bad where it was one of those things where, you know, his biggest complaint was I couldn't catch. And so my first year there, I, yeah, I went before practice every day and was working on a jugs machine and with the quarterbacks. And after practice, I stayed late and worked on it. And so I went like a two-week period. I mean, a legit two weeks where I didn't drop one ball. I was perfect for two weeks. Didn't drop a ball. And then um, and then there was one at you the know, beginning of practice, quarterbacks warming up their arms, doing deep passes, and I run and get like, you know, a long a 50-yard pass, you know, over the opposite shoulder type catch, you know, that the hardest catch in football, you know, and I dropped it. And I was like, ah, and I was like, man, that's okay. You know, I had two weeks. I proved to them that I could catch. You know, that I can go, I can be a receiver in this program. And I was running back to the huddle, and I ran by Heimerdinger, and he stopped what he was doing. He was talking to one of the the, uh, the backup quarterbacks. He looked at me in dead in the eye and said, I told you you couldn't catch. <laughs> Brutally honest the NFL is, right? <laughs> and I was like, oh, and that's when I realized, I'm like, there's nothing I'll be able to do for this guy. Like, I'm never going to get to play here. I'm never going to get a shot as long as this, this guy's here because he hey, he doesn't like me. He doesn't want me to succeed. In fact, he's going to do everything he can to tear me down so I can't succeed. Um, and so what I did, uh, get you know, I made it through a full season there. I did mostly special teams. <clears throat> you know, I made it through the off season. I made it all the way through training camp and then got cut, you know, in the last cuts of training camp. Uh, and things like I got picked up on waivers by the Jacksonville Jaguars. 
I went over there and uh, Tom Coughlin, who everybody always get tell me in these horror stories, but man, Tom, he was a good. I think he was a good coach and he was a fair coach. Um, and he told me, he said, hey, right now, he, he told me from the beginning, he said, hey, you're not going to play much here right now. He's like, you know, we have Stacy Mack and Fred Taylor. You know, those are our guys. Um, you know, but he's like, and I, but you're new here. I want you to learn the offense. And he's like, next year, both Fred Taylor and Stacy Mack's are contracts are up. And he's like, and just, I'm telling you right now, it's probably, everybody, it's all, everybody knows this will probably keep Fred Taylor. We'll probably let Stacy Mack go. I said, we need a big back here. So I want you to just to learn as much as you can. And so that was a great year. I was I was on the active roster all year long, did special teams. Um, yeah, I even started a couple games at fullback when we had one of our fullbacks that got hurt. Um, but knew I had a place there. And I had good communication with the coach, and I worked hard and did all kind of stuff. And so uh, that was great until uh, Tom Coughlin got fired, <laughs> and they brought in Del Rio um, for that next season. So I went to that next offseason off with Del Rio. And so, you know, when the new coach gets there and then turn over his staff, he's like uh, – you know, they bring all the players in kind of like to meet everybody and stuff. And he's just like, <laughs> he looked at me and he was like, why are you here? Dang. <laughs> and I was like, really? Well, you, know, Coughlin, you know, this is, this, this is this really what he's like. Well, we don't have big backs here. He's like, I don't need a big back in my offense. He's like, if you're going to make this team, you're going to make it a fullback. <laughs> wow. Talk uh, about so, reality you know, so check, that, right? At that point, I got I got moved back to fullback about so I wanted to try to make the team. But I mean, anybody that knows me knows my career knows. I mean, like, in high school, I was a running fullback. In Nebraska, I was a I was an eye back. Um, you know, like I didn't spend a lot of time blocking. You know, like that just wasn't what people used me as. So all of a sudden, to all of a sudden be in the NFL and have to learn how to block like an NFL linebacker, Oof. I just I, that's a learning curve. I just couldn't overcome. You know, in that season, um, and I wasn't going. You know, they didn't care how good I could run or what I could do because they weren't going. I wasn't going to run in that offense. So Dang. they let me go. They uh, they let me go. Unfortunately, during that training camp, I also tore my tore my uh, hamstring, and I got it. And it's just when I was good enough. You know, I, I during the beginning of training camp, and I had just got it. Not that shit. They tore. I strained it because uh, it tore. I would have been out. You know, an IR. But uh, I strained it just bad enough where it impeded my ability to play and missed a lot of practices and a lot of reps, but was just healthy enough where I could do enough where they were able to cut me at the end of training camp without putting me on, on injury reserve. Dang. Hey, so listen, uh, we, when you come back, I want to talk about that because that, that's, that's the NFL's M.O., uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? So we'll the next break, we'll we'll talk about that after the break. Tommy Gunn, Darren, John, Joe, all your text messages will be answered when we get back. It's the ticket, 93.7. Back with Vershawn Jackson on 93.7 the ticket and the ticketfm.com. Tell me the truth. Mama just hung her head and said, son. Papa was a rolling stone. Wherever he laid his hat was his home. That's right, folks. It's Rashad Jackson. It's the ticket, 93.7. 
talking to my guy, Dan Thunder. Thunder Dan Alexander. First, we're going to get to your text. Tommy Gunn says, Dan, when I was a little kid, my friend. Oh, we already got that one. Dan- Darren says, my family and Dokes have been close since before I was born. His parents and mine have been friends for a long time. Doke is a great guy. He definitely is a great guy. John says, hi, VJ. Did Dan have a nickname that you can repeat? John. Thunder Dan. Oh, man. How many? I shoot. I'm one of those people. I've loved nicknames. I've had so many. <clears throat> I mean, Thunder Dan. Come on, Cadillac give it to Dan. Him. I had those wide turns, I say, like a Cadillac. <laughs> Juice Baby. And I say, everybody think I was on steroids or Freak. <laughs> <laughs> it, Big so- D. I mean, gosh, how many have you got? I got Carlton for a while there. I was Carlton. Oh, I remember Carlton. <laughs> I remember the Carlton. And you ex- you you was good at just accepting that stuff. Yeah, I, yeah, I took them all. I had Danimal. Danimal is the one that I probably still use today. Uh, uh, but yeah, I was, I was Danimal for a while there. Yeah, Danimal. Uh, mine, mine for you was just Thunder Dan. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Where uh, that, yeah. Where did yeah, that come from? Is that just because you was thundering on people? <laughs> Where did we I wasn't come the up lightning. With that? I was, you know, they, I think that was probably lightning. Probably Carell and, and the other other running backs, the fast ones, those little, those guys that run, that can move around quickly. They're, they're lightning. I was, it was just the thunder, you know. Yeah. You just all you did was just heard the boom, the sonic boom, and you running somebody over, right? Um, <laughs> Joe says, Dan, I remember sitting in stop class with you in 1999. Everyone in the class swarmed around you. What was it like? getting all the superhero attention. <laughs> you remember oh, the stop I class? Know. I mean, I, I was so, I look back and I was like, I was pretty innocent back then, even in college. You I were speeding around. I had my head down. I tried to ignore all of that stuff. That stuff. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously it felt good. I mean, we all, everybody likes to get, to have the attention and, and to be it. Um, I just hopefully, hopefully when he was seeing that, I was also, hopefully at that time I was, I was giving back or I was gracious uh, to the people that, that would, uh, that, you know, as they asked the questions or do whatever, I just always try to make sure that I was always aware that it was a platform that, you know, people weren't swimming around me always just because of me. Um, a lot of times when they first meet me, it's because of football, it's because of that platform. And so, you know, I tried my very best to, you know, be an example um, during that you know, during that attention. Uh, yeah, it's part of the reason it's funny. I might tell a little quick story with my wife is that when we, when I first um, met her, <clears throat> I was afraid to tell her I played football because I didn't want, you know, I didn't want, you know, I didn't, if she was interested in a football player, I didn't, really didn't want to know, you know, and I didn't want her to think of me as a football player. And so um, she didn't know I played for the Titans. We were, we were dated and kind of knew each other for about three, three and a half months uh, before my wife found out I played football for the Titans. <laughs> Because I didn't want her to know. You were, you were, you were, you were being like Clark, Clark Kent. When it came to that. You're being like Clark Kent. You didn't want you was keeping it under the wrap. <laughs> the reason we do that, ladies and gentlemen, in the ticket country is because sometimes people like to befriend Huskers, so-called celebrities. They like to befriend, and then they have agendas. Mm-hmm. And, and those hidden agendas – doesn't take us long to to sniff those things out, and then it's like now we just wasted time with somebody that had a hidden agenda. Instead, we like to have the people that don't know who we are because then we get the chance to see who they really are 
are they just liking us because we play football or do they like us because they really like us? Obviously, mm-hmm. your wife liked you because she really liked you. Yeah, yeah. So on the, we got we got Dan on the phone. Dan, I got Castle Dragon seventy eight says Dan Alexander was a beast in the Husker backfield. Him and Buck Alter. How was that playing having Buck back there to play with you and 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 you guys kind of having that we back mentality? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was great. I mean, I, like I kind of mentioned earlier with Osborne is you know he told me he's like, hey, the reason I started over Buck Alter wasn't because I was better than Buck Alter. Yeah, I definitely wasn't the prototypical, you know, Nebraska running back, you know, in so much all Osborne's offense, but uh, it was the one-two punch that they wanted. Now, you know, my job was to go out there the first and third, you know, first quarter and the third quarter, the start of, you know, kind of the start of the series and set the tone against the defensive backs and linebackers by running them over, you know. My job was to go soften them up. And then, you know, we had, you know, you know, Darren Dietrich, your Corrupt Buckholter, a lot of times in the second quarter or the fourth quarter, they went and, you know, these softened up guys. Now that they're playing on their heels, they've run around them, you know, and, and make stuff. So, you know, it was the one-two punch, you know, and I appreciate I, – I liked being part of the week. You know, I, I wish I was good enough to be like, yeah, I should have been the starter. I should They shouldn't have shared time with me. But but I knew, you know, I had a role to play, and, uh, you know, I was happy to be part of be part of the group, you know, be part of the be part of the success. Well, how was that knowing, too, that the drop-off between you and Carell? Because I think a lot of times people think it was a drop-off. It wasn't that much of a drop-off from you no, and no. Terrell. I mean, no. Carell, I mean, Terrell was – I, I, you can hear me say it right here on radio. I've told everybody this. Carell was a better back than I was. You know, I, I had a role, and that's part of why, you know, even the NFL, why that petered out is, you know, nobody wants the big back anymore in the NFL. I mean, they do have them now, and you see it, but – but it's that they're they're the super athlete where they can run people over and they're big, but they also got the moves like a Amon Green or a Corral Cult, you know, where they can still move around. Yeah, you know, I just I didn't while I was you know Thunder Dan and I you know I, I I looked good and I was I was big and I was I was also pretty stiff, you know, as a running back. Um, and so uh, you know I just I I wish I could have been that guy that was able to do it all. Um, and so it really was helpful to have a, you know, the, the guys there that could do the stuff that I couldn't do. You know? Yeah, but it, it was it was a beauty seeing seeing guys just bounce off. And I, every time you <laughs> ran, I just think, I mean, just the way you finish runs, the way you look people up, you never look to run out of bounds. You never look to, to, to for me, and I, this is me mm-hmm. going back and watching you guys now because I think we really don't know how great we were at football until you go back and watch the TV copies of the games. I don't know how much you've did that, but I think you should go back and watch the TV copies and you'd be like, is that me? Because, <laughs> dude. I mean, one run I seen you run through eight potential tacklers. Yeah, eight of them. Yeah, and yeah. that's the one thing we don't see today that we have to get back to is we got to have a back that one can make one man miss. Two, when he's getting ready and he have nowhere else to go, he's going to lower his shoulder and he's going to deliver the blow instead of taking the blow. He's going to be the hammer and not the nail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who were the philosophy? Go ahead. <laughs> That was yeah, I was gonna say that was the philosophy. That was Osborne's thing. Is we were the hammer, 
you know, we never got hit. We hit other people, you know, um, you know, and so it was, it went all back to, I remember one of the best drills that, that, uh, you know, Osborne Solich, you know, through all those days that we did was we had those, remember those big foam balls. I mean, it was probably three feet tall, yeah. you know, weighed like a hundred pounds. The red like balls. Yeah. Those big, we, we just roll them at each other's feet all the time. And we'd have to learn how to get down and, and put our shoulder pad on that thing, uh, and still finish a run. You know, and so I think that was part of the thing was we knew, you know, nobody, nobody that was smart was going to take us upper body. And so you knew all the hits were coming to your ankles and knees. Um, but it takes it is a skill that you have to develop to be able to get low enough to be able to, to still continue on a run when when people are, you know, get a solid shot, you know, when they're trying to get you down there in the lower part of your leg. How important was the nuances? Because you just you touched on that, but. I think about at, at running back the three-step cut drill. I think about mm-hmm. the attack and adjust drill. I think about the balance drill. How am you know? A lot of times people don't don't understand that you didn't just you didn't become Thunder Dan because you were just you were just a guy that went through the motions. You went and you did your weight room deal. You became Thunder Dan because you was able to pick up all of the techniques that was taught to you mm-hmm. and then take those techniques to another level. Oh yeah. I mean, when you said that's funny, cause I'm like, I don't, does anybody do the balance drill anymore? I never I mean, seen that it. Was, I've never seen anybody, any other team that I know did a balance drill. And, uh, I remember the drill where it's like, you know, basically we are, we were training our muscles and our arms to be able to be three legged, you know, when you lose a leg to have your arm be another leg, you know? And so we learned a lot of, you know, we did tr- drill that stuff consistently like every day it wasn't like every once in a while they'd throw in like hey let's try to balance and see it was like no we were expected every day to defend our our shins and, and knees we we're trained every day to be able to you know if we had to to put our hand down to maintain our balance um you know that was just part of life you know and you drill that stuff enough and it becomes and, you know hopefully it stays natural when you get into the game Sider Hammond text line 464-5685 if you want to get in or you can call us on the Honda of Lincoln hotline 464-5685. I'm having a candid discussion with my little big brother, Dan, Edward, Alexander. When we get back, we'll discuss, we'll take your text messages and more at the ticket. Back with Vershawn Jackson on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. And we're back. It's the ticket, 93.7. I'm talking to Dan, Edward, Alexander, big fella. Time goes by so fast around here. Can you believe it's almost been 20 years since you put the pass on at Nebraska, or has it been 20? It's been 20. Oh, gosh. It's yep, been 20, been 20. Right? been past 20 now. Yeah, man. You still think you can play a couple series? No. no Come no, on. No. Dan, Dan, I don't believe you. I don't. I just showed Nick a picture of you, and he's like, is that the Hawk? Like, no, that's Thunder Dan. No, you know, I think I look like I can play a couple more years, but I know the way this body feels right now. I mean, the best, the, the thing that you kind of talk about a high ankle sprain. I had a season at Nebraska where I tore my ankle really bad, 
over and over again. Uh, and then in the NFL, it was exasperated. So now I, I don't know. And then my hamstring, like we were starting to talk about with Jack Slav, my hamstring hadn't been the same most of my life. So I, I just, I don't have that fifth gear anymore. I can jog really fast, but I, but you know, the speed I was known for, I, I just don't got it. I don't got it. Well, you 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 might be a little little big now, so you got it. You just <laughs> might rip everything up in your body if you use it. I tell people yeah, that. Yeah. Well, I mean, if I could get if I could get back, I could I might be able to play if I can get back down to two fifty two fifty five like I was playing before. I'm about two eighty now, and I could lose. I could stand to lose a good thirty pounds. Well, I know we I I, I we kind of we won we both won a bet. We're talking on the phone. We're talking about Joe Walker and. Joe Walker, I thought Joe Walker came in as a true freshman at 97, and he was like, nah, he couldn't have because he blew my knee up, and he's the one who hit me in the spring game. And I'm like, nah, man, he – and so I go do some investigation, and sure enough, Joe Walker was Prop 48, and he came in in January. So yeah. I, I, I bet a 1,000, and I was trying to press you another 1,000, 2,000 push-ups in. And and then when I found out that I'm like, uh, my bad. <laughs> so well, no, we were all, we were both. I mean, it was confusing. I mean, yeah. I mean, we usually we had one or two props every year, but you forget you know forget who they are because you know they just get incorporated in the team you know, but they kind of come in in that halfway where they're not quite a '96 class. He wasn't quite '97 class. He was right there in the middle. So yeah, it does. Uh, yeah, but I, I knew for sure. I was like, there is no way that I could forget who tore my ACL. <laughs> that, that explains a lot, though. You know, when I do have Joe on, we're going to have a candid conversation about that because that explains a lot. Yeah. How, you yeah. know, you know, just to end, and we got about two minutes, what would be something that you would want to, to say to Husker Nation? Oh gosh, I don't even know. Uh, so that's that's a hard question. Uh, I mean, I would just stay. I mean, stay. I mean, I'm still a Husker fan. You know, I'm not going anywhere. But but what I would say, to Husker Nation, is have patience. I know it's been a long time. <laughs> it's been a long time since we're on top. But I'm afraid that we've made a lot of mistakes. It's taken a lot of time. I think we've set ourselves back because we keep on trying to make. You know, we keep on looking after coach after coach after coach, and we just keep on trying to make somebody. And, it, and I think it took time. I don't think the brass, I don't think the corners were built in a day. They weren't even built in a decade. It took years, um, especially between this, the, the national championship in the 70s and the one in the 90s um, to get back there. And uh, I just think if history taught us anything, it's, it's patience. I think, I think if we stay loyal, I think if we – Keep rooting on. We keep on lifting our guys up. We keep on, but also still sharing our voice. Um, that, that we can get back to that. You know, we can get back, get back to the the, the days. To the everybody. Th- those were the days. Hey, listen, man, Dan. Thank you, brother. I ain't talked to you in a while, but I but I'm so grateful that you was able to come on the show and was able to give the Husker fans a little bit of insight on Dan Edward Alexander and how great you are of a man, how great of a person you are. And uh, we didn't touch on enough. I wanted to get into the little father part and how great of a father you are. And uh, so I just want to tell you, appreciate you, brother. Oh, no, I appreciate you. Thanks for the opportunity. Come on, man. Give me your best big Go Big Red. (laughs) Terrible. 
Go Big Red. That's right. Go Big Red. Coming from the cabinet. I'm in my office. I'm supposed to be working right now. That's all right. Coming from the office, (laughs) the ticket, Dan Alexander, Nick's over there. DP was with us. We was with uh, uh, Webster. Holla at your boy, dog. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.